Hey y'all, I'm Caroline. I'm so excited to be up here. Let's just get like right into it. So today we are going to be in Exodus. We are going to be at the tail end of Exodus and the beginning of chapter three. So by the end of today's message, there are uh, three questions that you and I should confidently um, with a resounding amen be able to answer. Not just like surface level shallow answer but like resounding yes praise god amen hallelujah confidently answer okay those three questions are as follows the first is who is delivering us okay the second question that you and i should be able to answer is how are we being delivered and the third question is from what are you and i being delivered from okay so, a little backstory before we jump into the end of chapter 2 in Exodus. Let's talk about what's going on in Egypt, just to kind of set the stage. So, a few pages back in our Bible, uh, the season of Joseph and Jacob, and the reconciliation that takes place within their family, and this peace that's enjoyed amongst the Israelites, and the fruitful multiplication of their people as God continued to bless them, that's kind of coming to an end. Not the multiplying part, but the peace part. There's a new pharaoh in power, a new king of Egypt, and he is removed from the era of Joseph and Jacob. So he's not aware or familiar with how beautiful life was and how possible it is for beautiful life like it was. Um, so this new pharaoh, king of Egypt, is incredibly insecure and easily intimidated, so much so that the um, the blessing that God had given to the Israelites of multiplication, lots of babies, it, it freaked Pharaoh out. Because Pharaoh saw numbers growing of people, and instead of seeing a beautiful blessing from God, he saw, ooh, I might lose control and power I'm not okay with that. There are so many of you, you could turn against me in an instant, create an uprising and overthrow me. So I'm not okay with that. So Pharaoh's response um, to his insecurity was to basically snap his fingers and say, cool, this era of peace is done. You are now slaves of mine and you are now in bondage to me. So the Israelites are now going through insane oppression and horrible mistreatment by the Egyptians. So let's get into it. As we get into it, there's going to be, there's a word I want to explain because thematically I think it is so appropriate to what we're going to be talking about. It's a Hebrew word and it's, the word is yada, Y-A-D-A. Yada means to acknowledge and then to be moved into action. Yada is a physical response after the recognition of something, okay? It's not just recognition and it's not just purposeless action. Yada is action motivated and inspired by recognition of something, right? It is a physical response and it is incredibly powerful. And the most beautiful illustration of yada is seen by how God responds and reacts to us um, in this story. And it just goes to show as an affirmation that God is always active. God is always moving and is always responding. So let's get into it. I'm going to start in Exodus 2, okay? And I'm going to read you guys verses 23 through 25. During those many days, the king of Egypt died right? We just said that. And the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. 
Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God, and and God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel, and God knew. So what's happening, right? Israel's groaning and crying out because of their extreme bondage and slavery. They're calling out to God saying, yo, please help us. This is awful. Um, and God did what, right? He recognized, he acknowledged their cries, and he's moved into action. He remembers his covenant, and we see what he very physically does in response to Israel's groans and cries as we dive into chapter three, okay? So before we move on to chapter three, I want to talk about Israel's bondage for a second. In this season of life, Israel was suffering in bondage because of Pharaoh's sin. So let me break that break that down. Um, because at first it's like, what? Um, Pharaoh, right? Incredibly insecure and easily intimidated. Because of his desire for control and power and his fear of being overthrown and overruled, right? And losing his control takes God's people and puts shackles on them, for lack of a better term, right? And that's what sin does. Sin, kind of in and of itself, is agnostic, right? Like sin doesn't care who you are, where you come from, what you do, how much control you have or do not have, where you're going, where you've been. We live in a world that's separated from God, right? You and I are not walking in the Garden of Eden. You and I live in a very broken world and sin affects all of us, even if it's through who we associate with. Sin affects us. And just because you and I ask Jesus to come into our hearts, right, it doesn't mean that we're instantaneously immune to sin and its effects. It still affects us, right? Sin still affects us. And Pharaoh's sin this desire and need for control thus communicated in the oppression of the oppression of an entire population of God's people that sin enslaved the Israelites and so now the Israelites are in bondage because of Pharaoh's sin right we're going to talk more about that in a little bit but that is so important to know right because sometimes what you and I are being delivered from is not always what you you and I are doing, right? Sometimes it's generational sin. Sometimes it's sin within our teams, our companies, our jobs, right? That trickles down from a leader, right? Sometimes it's cultural sin. Sometimes it's societal norm sin. Sometimes it's sin that's so widely accepted and not even given any thought to that we think it's not sin, right? You and I still need to be delivered from that. And sometimes God calls out us to be instruments in that deliverance. So let's talk about that. Let's let's get into chapter three um, and talk about what that looks like, being an instrument in deliverance. Um, regardless, though, regardless of whose sin it is, it's affecting us. And the appropriate and expected response is to do what the Israelites did. And that is to cry out to God, right? To cry out to God, to recognize that we desperately need his grace and his mercy and his acknowledgement, right? And his forgiveness. 
and that moves God into action, right? It did right here. God remembers his covenant and responds. And now we're going to talk about how God responds. So let's, so we're going to get into chapter three. Let's talk about Moses for a second real quick. Moses should be dead, right? Moses was born during a time when the king of Egypt, Pharaoh, right? Easily intimidated, incredibly insecure, um, was so concerned with being overthrown that when Moses was born, Pharaoh actually said all the baby boys that are Hebrew, kill them, right? Because he didn't want to risk a Hebrew boy rising up and overthrowing him. So Moses wasn't killed. Moses's mother saved him, held him and hid him for like three months. When he got to the point where she couldn't conceal him anymore, he, she put him in a basket, sent him down the river, Pharaoh's daughter finds said basket, saves Moses, ironically, calls out to a Hebrew girl watching nearby and says, hey, I will pay you money to raise this baby as mine. Turns out that's he, uh, Moses's sister, okay? That's Moses's sister who Pharaoh's daughter reaches out to. And Moses is raised up within Pharaoh's family. So talk about an identity crisis, right? Biologically, an, a Hebrew, right? adopted as one of Pharaoh's, right? One of Pharaoh's family members is brought up witnessing the oppression of his biological people. At one point tries to get in the middle of it, tries to defend an Israelite who was being horribly mistreated by an Egyptian guard, ends up killing the Egyptian guard, comes back the next day, tries to break up a fight between two Israelites Two Israelites get upset, saying, Moses, who do you think you are, right? What are you, like, God or something? Going to come break us up? Yeah, no, thank you. In the midst of all that chaos, Pharaoh finds out Moses killed an Egyptian guard, and now Pharaoh wants him dead, right? So where we pick up, Moses has fled. Moses has left Egypt. He's long gone. He's got a family. He's in Midian. Like, he is gone. He's, he's 80 years old also, I might add. He's 80. So let's talk about what Moses is up to and what God, um, how God appears to him and what God tells him. So we're going to pick up in chapter three and I'm going to read you guys verses one through six. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian, and he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. Then he said, do not come near, take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. How sweet. How sweet it is, right? God does something so special in verse 6 to Moses. Can you imagine having that intense of an identity crisis, right? It's so natural today for there to be like blended families and for us to kind of adopt people into our world and our life and sometimes really physically adopt beautiful people into our homes and our worlds and our families. And sometimes not like actually adopt, but just bring people in and claim them as our own. 
But can you imagine how deep-rooted Moses's identity crisis was? Like, who was he? Biologically, he was not his own, but his adopted family wanted him dead. And when he went to defend his biological family, they snapped back and his adopted family got angry and said, you're dead. Can you imagine? God does something so beautiful though in verse six. God affirms who Moses is. God says, Moses, you're mine. You're mine. Moses, I am the God of your father, whichever one it is. <laughs> Moses, you're mine, right? And these six verses just go to show like God calls out and speaks to the most unlikely people, right? The people with the most screwed up past, the people with the biggest identity crisis, the people that are most unqualified, like God calls out to them anyway. And God affirms their identity. God's like, you're mine. You're mine. Mine, period. So let's, I'm going to read seven through 10. And we're going to see what God asks of Moses here. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings and I've come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Fites, and the Jebusites. And now behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I've also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. It's a huge call, right? Like, that's a huge, a huge uh, commission that God puts on Moses' life. Like, you're going to go bring my people out of Egypt, right? Like, you're going to go do that. And notice how God kind of completes that yada circle, right? Israelites cry out. God recognizes and acknowledges their cry. God remembers his covenant. And in response, he's moved to action. God physically responds, right? He calls out to one of his children and he says, hey, you and I, we got some work to do. So let's look at how Moses responds in verse 11. Then Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? Moses's initial response is that of doubt. You've got the wrong Moses, God. You Do you know who I am? Do you know how confused I am in and of myself? And now you're calling me to go deliver these people because my adopted father wanted them as slaves? You know he wants me dead, right? You want me to go deliver them? Look at God's response. Verse 12. He said, but I will be with you. And this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. God responds with nothing. With nothing but. The whole deliverance thing literally doesn't work because of you, Moses. It only works because of me and who I am. Because of my presence. Because of my being. Because of me being in it. God doesn't justify or validate Moses as a singular independent identity. He affirms his identity as a child of God, right? You are who you are because you are mine in verse 6, right? But then he quickly explains when Moses goes through his first doubt, 
says deliverance doesn't work because of who you are, Moses. If it was just you, you're totally right. Not possible. Because that's the thing. Deliverance doesn't work without God. Breaking free of chains, either self-imposed or by association with the people we love and do life with, that doesn't happen without God. That doesn't happen without God intervening. That doesn't happen without God's presence. And that's the explanation as a response we get from God. Moses, this doesn't have anything to do with you. If it was just you, you're totally right. Not possible. But I will be with you. So let's move on because Moses has more doubts to come. So let's read verse 13. Then Moses said to God, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? God, when they say who sent me, who do I say you are? I, my, well, the first couple of times I read through this, I expected God to be real angry and real frustrated, right? Like, seriously, Moses, like you don't know who I am. I'm a, I'm a bush on fire. Like I'm God, right? But that's not who our God is. Our God is compassionate and he's so patient with us. And he meets us right smack dab in the middle of our season of doubt, even though he's given us this beautiful calling and amazing responsibility and job, he meets us where we are <laughs> in our panic, in our shock and awe, in our moment of just paralysis because we don't understand why or how any of this will be possible or what's the point, where it's coming from, what it's going to lead to. God says, hey, hey. It's okay. And God answers, right? God responds. God, who are you? Listen to this. In verse 14, God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent me to you. I am Yahweh, right? It's like breath. It's like an inhale and an exhale as a word. Yahweh. Yahweh. For me, Yahweh is the only way I know how to fathom what a childlike faith is even like. I am, period. It's so big and so vast and so overwhelming and all-consuming that I can't even imagine it. All I can do is wonder. All I can do is maybe, maybe rationalize a little bit or consider the extent and the reach of I am Yahweh. <laughs> I am everything. I am before and after and in the now. I am above and below and inside and in between. I am now, I am then, I am coming, I am, period. I am. And then God goes on and answers two unspoken doubts, because that's how awesome he is. And he knows us better than we know ourselves. And the first unspoken doubt that he answers is Moses wondering, how will I know the work is done? Right? And he answers that in verse 12, when he is affirming that deliverance only works because I'm the one doing it and I'm present when he says, but I'll be with you and this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you. 
when you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve them. You shall serve God on this mountain, right? God affirms to Moses, when the work is done and you are com you've completed it, you've completed the task I've assigned to you, you will praise me on this mountain. And the second unspoken doubt is when Moses is just, and I'm, I know he's wrestling with it, right? Like, this is something that I wrestle with, but is this whole deliverance thing going to be hard, God? Like, is this whole deliverance thing because you're with me going to be easy? Because you you have divine power. So like, I'm not going to be affected by anything negative, right, God? Like, we're good, right? Like you and I, we're going to talk about it, but like nothing negative is going to happen to me. It's almost as foolish as thinking that the Israelites it, were immune to slavery, right? That's almost as foolish as thinking that Pharaoh could never touch the Israelites. It's almost as foolish as thinking that you and I didn't choose sin over and over and over and over again. It's almost as foolish as thinking that you and I are currently walking in the Garden of Eden with the Lord, right? Of course, this is going to be hard. Of course, obviously, this is going to be hard. Let's read what God has to say in verse 19. But I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless compelled by a mighty hand. So I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all the wonders that I will do in it. And after that, he will let you go. Anytime God says in the Bible, strike or like mighty hand, it terrifies me. The God of everything saying strike is crazy intimidating right? He's not just saying poke or I'll whisper in Pharaoh's ear as if that isn't enough. God says strike with a mighty hand. Okay, Lord, let's go, right? He doesn't say that it's going to be easy, but he affirms that it will work only because of him. Only because it's not Moses doing the delivering. It's God, right? It's God. So you guys tell me, right? Like, let's go through these questions. Who is delivering us? From what are you and I being delivered? And how are we being delivered? When I went through this, at the end of it, I had two kind of these huge internal questions that I felt compelled to share with you guys. The first is, are you Moses? And the second was, or are you one of the Israelites? In this season of life, whatever that looks like for you, is God trying to break chains? Is God trying to release you from shackles? Is God trying to break through years, generations, cultural norms, societal definitions? Is God trying to break through those chains of what you and I think is normal, but it's sin? Is God trying to break through something like that in your life? And then the second question, are you Moses, is God, has God, has he reached out to you and spoken to you and called on you to be obedient in his commission, right? Has God called out to you intimately and personally and 
preciously, has he called out to you and said, hey, here's the deal. You and I, there's some people in our world, right? There's some people that I made, that I know you know, and you used to do life with, and you might still be doing life with. And they may be your family, and they may be your coworkers. They may be your colleagues, your classmates, right? Your friends. But here's the deal. You are going to be an instrument in the deliverance of them. You are going to go bring them out of Egypt. Right? You are going to go get them. And it's not going to work because you are who you are by yourself. It's only going to work because of who I am. And my role and my presence. Right? Am I an Israelite? Or am I like Moses? What does this season of life look like? Right? Is there generational, past, historical, cultural <laughs> sin that I'm in bondage to by association, like the Israelites were from Pharaoh, right? And sometimes that's how it happens. Sometimes it is. We've got secular leaders, right? Who really just can't fathom not being in control. Is God trying to break you free of those chains? And here's the deal. As he calls, whatever pool you're in, or maybe it's a blur of both, are we yada-ing? I love that word, yada. Are you and I yada-ing in response are you and I recognizing what God is trying to do in our life? Are you and I aware? Are we aware that God's trying to break us free, deliver us from whatever past generational sin? Are you and I recognizing that? And are we moved to respond? Are we being active in our response to the recognition of God's call in our life, right? Are you and I aware and recognizing that God might be speaking to us individually to be an instrument in the deliverance of people? And are we actively responding? Are you and I getting up and going and doing something about it? The most beautiful part of this whole story for me was right at the very beginning in verse three i'm gonna read it to you and then we'll pray and moses said i will turn aside to see this great sight why the bush is not burned when the lord saw that he turned aside to see god called to him out of the bush moses moses and he said here i am god's going to continue pursuing us Y'all, we're his. And even if we just glance the burning bush, right? Just out of the corner of our eye, God sees it. God's like, Moses, Moses, hey, look, it's me, it's me, it's me. Hey, I need to talk to you about something, and it's huge. Here I am. And our response to God, I think, is beautifully written 
in what it should be in Psalm 30 verses 1 through 3. I will extol you, O Lord, for you have drawn me up and have not let my foes rejoice over me. O Lord, my God, I cried out to you for help and you have healed me. O Lord, you have brought up my soul from Sheol. You restored me to life from among those who go down to the pit. Let's pray, y'all.